Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? It's Wednesday. I'm excited for Thanksgiving. Bull, bull, bull. Uh, I'm also yeah. I'm also excited for for Thanksgiving. I've been I've been putting up pretty big bubble COVID bubbles around me so I can go and hang out with my with my mom and dad and sister. Uh, so that'll be that'll be a fun time, and also talk about crypto. That's definitely on the menu as it's, it comes right after right after appetizers and before dinner is where the crypto talk happens. I don't know about you. Well, I'm sure it's going to be undeniable. Uh, it's going to be a very tight circle for, with me as well, uh, just mm-hmm. close family. So um, mm-hmm. I don't push them too hard at this point. If they haven't already bought it, <laughs> I'm probably buying for them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just me. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it feels like. I can, I don't really need to bother my, my friends and family to, to buy crypto anymore because I'm just doing it on their behalf more or less, which has worked out especially Let well. Let me shave you off month. a little bit. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> so uh, Bitcoin is at basically touching all-time highs. Uh, I, think we, I think we touched like 19600 and then we dumped a couple hundred dollars. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Christian, did you expect us to get to this point so quickly? Uh, yes. Yes. Why, why? Just because it was, you felt inevitable. And so now that it's finally here, like whatever. Dude, this is how the Bitcoin cycle works. Guess what? Q1 is probably going to dip a decent amount and then it's going to keep pumping. Why do you say that? Cause that's what it did last time. It just dips in Q1. Yep. So, so hit like a thousand something pretty mm-hmm. much piercing all time highs from the last bubble, then mm-hmm. drop down to three figures and then just continue the March up. We had Nine, another Nike decent summer. And then, you know, November, mm-hmm. December, all-time highs. So Ether, Ether's best month historically is December. It it, it does its best performance versus, ver, actually, mostly specifically versus Bitcoin in December, right? Five out of five times. Ether appreciates- How about July? Sorry? July too, right? Uh, maybe. Maybe. But so like, if you, the, if you look on the- Ether, summers have always been there. Oh, really? If you look on the ETH BTC chart, there's always this massive like Nike swoosh where it depreciates for, to Bitcoin in November and then it appreciates versus Bitcoin in December or January, you know, plus or minus two weeks. The, the times vary, but it's always like in the last few weeks of the year, plus the first few weeks of the next year. And I mean, we're start, so, so if the trend holds true, like we're, we're seeing that play out, right? Like Bitcoin went to 18 something, 18 and a half thousand, and then Ether marched from like $440 all the way up to 600 where where it is now 587 uh and and so like the the community the the ether people that I talk to are like having having their sell sells sells at like $800 thinking that like we ether climbs to 800 like somewhere right under 0. 0.4 0.04 BTC and then we have like our first like big 40 30 to 40% drawdown uh somebody's at my door fuck um, and then, and then that's, that's when like the first wave of retail, like gets hit really bad. And they, then that, that's where they learn their first lesson. But then after that, like we just start climbing up again. That's generally the plan. Retail I, is I going to, to continuously, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll rant now. <laughs> retail will continuously learn lessons throughout this bull market. So, um, do you guys just stack sats and hold, you'll know when it's time to sell. Don't sell all of it at once. Don't learn lessons. You know, look look to the past. Just you know, go to some go to some of your favorite Bitcoin influencers and try to go to see the beginning of 
their crypto journey, it's uh, pretty obvious that they learned a lot of lessons and you can learn from them instead of learning with your sats. So don't be an idiot retail. Um, Ripple always pumps and dumps. So buy the dump and then hold it if you're going to have to do that shit. Um, definitely always sell it for Bitcoin because uh, don't hold shit coins. That's retarded. Uh, I shouldn't use the R word. David's back. Let's go back. I use the R word, you bad boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I was just giving people some advice on uh, how to how to deal with uh, the bull run. Uh, yeah, should we talk about like text messages, incoming text messages? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you had this incoming text message, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, why don't you just tell the story and we can pontificate. Yeah. So on my on my Instagram, I post charts about B Bitcoin and Ether and then also some like narratives, right? Like anytime I see a, a tweet from Pierre Richard about some salient Bitcoin comment, I always put it on my on my Twitter just because it's, it's like the, the most recent one I did was um, Pierre Richard's tweet about like how Bitcoin is too volatile. And he goes, Bitcoin's too volatile, volatile. And then he, and then he under under that he goes, well, fire's also too hot learn to use the technology. And I'm like, mm, banger, put that one on my Instagram story. So people know I like, I like broadcast stuff. So people know I'm a crypto person. Um, Pierre, Pierre and Michael Bitstein are the best Twitter memers I've ever seen. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bitstein still has me blocked. So Michael, please unblock me. I enjoyed your comment. Sorry for trolling. Um, and so I, I get a text message from a friend of mine that I went to college with saying like, hey, how do I learn about Ether and Ethereum? Like, where, where do I go to, to get started? So I sent him, sent him some resources. But uh, interestingly, he said that, you know, I, I, since, since I missed the boat, I missed, I, I missed the party on Bitcoin, something along the, those lines. I missed the party on Bitcoin. So I'm, you know, trying to get into the world and not, not be late, right? Well, I told, and I, then I told him, I was like, you haven't actually missed the party on Bitcoin. So don't think that you missed the party. Like I know buying at basically all-time high prices, has like some cognitive dissonance like people don't enjoy doing that but the, that's the really the the interesting point about an entrance people entering into the space when the space is hot because they enter largely because bitcoin is prices doing something crazy like breaching all-time highs and then they get in like oh it's breaching all-time highs like i want that but i want that to buy it at not all-time highs and so they are compelled to buy something that's not bitcoin because they want the bitcoin experience right and this is going to be true for this bull market. It was true for the last bull market. It's probably true for the bull market before that. It'll probably be true for the next bull market after this one, right? Like people just have this cognitive dissonance about buying Bitcoin near its all-time highs, which is why like low low cap illiquid tokens are always going to pump in bull markets and outperform Bitcoin because there's this insatiable like drive to try and outperform BTC because people have this cognitive dissonance about Bitcoin. And I have my own theories and narratives as to like how that capital is going to be directed differently versus last bull market. But uh, before I get to that point, I'll, I'll let you comment, CK. I think you're spot on. Uh, and like, there's a reason why when Bitcoin moves, all altcoins also move and they usually move hotter. The problem is, is that if you're a noob, you don't sell them at the top and then you get hold, caught holding the bag into the bear market, mm -hmm. which is not what you want to do. But um, yeah, I think you're right. Let's, so let's go into your narratives. Okay, so so last bull market, there was this insane amount of capital directed towards Ethereum killers, right? Like EOS, uh, Polkadot, Definity, 
uh, like a bunch of other ones I've forgotten the name of already because they didn't pan out. Uh, and it was it was kind of the same thing. Like people didn't want to invest in Ethereum because of the cognitive dissonance of buying buying something that has clearly already been successful. So they invested in ETH killers. And then there was also like tokens like Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Diamond. And then like um, I think I could also throw Dash into this as well. But like all all these like speculative proof of work hard cap coins that you know people would buy into because they were like Bitcoin but cheaper, right? Um, I don't think that category exists anymore. I also don't think the Ethereum killers category really exists anymore either. And so I think all of that speculative capital of trying to outperform Bitcoin and also perhaps Ether itself is going to be focused on DeFi tokens, like DeFi, like Aave, Compound perhaps, Uniswap, all these things that are like 1 billion market cap or less. Uh, I think that, that that is going to be the place that people try and seek outsized returns versus Bitcoin and, and Ether. And I think, so the, my thesis is that all of that cognitive dissonance is going to be directed towards tokens on Ethereum in an outsized way, this particular bull market. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly retail gets into the DeFi ecosystem, because I think the most obvious entrance is a Coinbase or similar type of an app. Um, so it would be interesting to see how they get there. But with that being said, like, when they get there, like that's obviously where the froth is. Like, I think I, a big part of my thesis, and I really liked your bankless episode with Melton because she focused on what we do agree with. But a big part of my thesis is the permissionless ecosystem will always defeat the permissioned ecosystem. So within DeFi is permissionless speculation opportunity, permissionless and, you know, kind of censorship resistance, but it's very much permissionless. And that's why not only is it going to be more enticing for people to enter and speculate there, but it's also going to have better speculation opportunities because people can permissionlessly create those better speculation opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and also just the DeFi, like we didn't have, we've never had a bull market with DeFi. Like that has not been a thing. Like MakerDAO was created in December of 2017, but like, so like the peak of 2017 bull market, but that was really applicable to like a very small minority of people, right? Like 0.1% of the bull market of 2017, even less than that was relevant to MakerDAO. So like Uniswap, we didn't have Uniswap in the last bull market. We didn't have MakerDAO. We didn't have Compound or Aave or Wyern or basically intrinsic DeFi tokens with real substantive value. That's not just some like medium of exchange utility token. We haven't had any of those in a bull market. So this is a lot, a lot of uh, DeFi's first like significant asset appreciation cycle. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that like the other thing that we didn't have in, in the Ethereum landscape versus last bull market is like places to deposit capital to on Ethereum. Like the last bull market, it was just like you buy this shitty ICO token and then later you sell it. Like now there's other things you can do. We have other verbs. Like you can can deposit capital into Uniswap. You can deposit capital into Maker, Aave, Wire. And there's places that capital can like land and then be sticky and stay there. Other than, which is in stark contrast to like the ICO mania of 2017, where like people can go in and out of positions like, like you know, like that. Also on centralized exchanges. Um, so I, there's this brand new like surface area for bull market expression that we no one has ever seen before. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, like there's this idea that Ansel's been kind of seeding, which is like Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem is where growth will start to emerge and where innovation will start to emerge because, and I consider DeFi and, and Ethereum to be part of that. Um, because the old system is so heavily taxed and permissioned that they can't. Like, it's hilarious when you watch central bankers talk about CDC, CBDCs because like, oh, there's friction with global payments. So we'll make a, a euro token and there's, that's going to remove the friction. It's like, no, the technology was always there. Venmo could send payments anywhere in the globe. The, the problem is that they only have permission to operate in the United States. It's never, it was never that the technology was limited. It was the permission. So this Euro coming up with the CBDC isn't going to solve the permission issues. They have to give up the power and right. so they can't, they will never be able to give up the power. And this is why they will be disrupted. Um, so, and, and they will continue to stifle innovation. Mm -hmm. They will continue to stifle human beings like with this COVID stuff and permissionless the market will continue to dominate them because it actually solves problems. It actually finds reality because if it doesn't find reality, it dies. Yeah. Agreed. No, no, no qualms or comments actually agreed. So let, I want to talk a little bit more about like, okay, so where, where does Ethereum stand right now? Because like, mm. I understand, you know, the idea of permissionless trading is awesome. And like DeFi, uh, you know, absolutely the infrastructure is game changing. But like Ethereum is also going through a lot of changes. I want to get your reflection on what happened two weeks ago, kind of with, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit. Um, and then as well as uh, the, this awesome, you know, highlight for the Ethereum community of, of reaching the, the goal of, was it 525,000 Ether? 24, yeah. Mm -hmm. 24,000 yeah, Ether. Deposit contract goal. Yeah. You're, you're talking about the earlier issues, talking about the Infura thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't been paying attention to that just because, like, I just think it's inconsequential. Like, sure, like, people used Infura, and then Infura broke, and then it disrupted service for, like, a bit. But, like, well, whatever. It what? It's about why it did it break and how and what people coordinated consensus around. Right, so, like, there was an update to Geth that was pushed, and then people downloaded it or didn't download it, and there was just, like... A lack of coordination around like which version of geth to use and then that broke the system like i just don't understand like it oh, think about this over the long term like this is just doesn't fucking matter it doesn't matter it doesn't like it, we just go around the issue like now there's different endpoints for people to use that are are easy to swap between so like you can swap between any version of geth uh like and geth itself like i just don't get it like I, I understand like the Bitcoiners are like this, the ethos of this, the whole, the fact, the reason why the, that like, it's not about the breakage, just about why the breakage happened and like how versioning and software is updated in a consensus matter. Like that's super important. Like, and I just like, like I'm, I'm the, Wait, there's okay. been no evidence that, that this is actually going to be significantly disruptive. So can, can I push back here? Sure. So I think the issue here is the fact that when you take a hard fork and you and there's not pure like there's not very good consensus around the hard fork and then you move to the new version of that fork that is a massive attack vector opportunity right and if there's precedent of that being something that happens and there being emergency unannounced hard fork and then everyone before they could possibly have had the opportunity to um you know do a proper 
audit, they have to make a snap decision to commit to the new version. That's an attack opportunity. So if you don't understand that this model of upgrading in this way of centering consensus around, you know, whatever, you know, whoever the core maintainers say is the new version or what is Ethereum, if you don't see that as being an attack vector, then I don't understand why you have a physical network of nodes. Because the whole point of the physical network of nodes is to prevent that kind of, uh, you know, surprise coordination from happening, right? Mm-hmm. Surprise coordination is bad coordination because people have to decide to do something very quickly without being able to fully assess everything. And especially if the, I mean, again, the precedent is to go to the new version, that is an attack vector. Yes, it's an attack vector, but everything is an attack vector, right? And so like, there's no there's no evidence that an attack in this manner would actually work because the ability to download different software or point to a different endpoint or run a different node or just use something, do something, is just the options are to route around this problem are like infinite. Like they're, they're, sure, it's an attack vector and someone can try this attack, but who the fuck, it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential even if the attack works. Like because deleting the attack and, and making the attack like just inconsequential is trivially easy. Like th- I mean, this is this is not a. It, it already has been proven issue. that the Ethereum community and people within the Ethereum community can get socially engineered and can get psyoped. Like it's everywhere throughout D- DeFi. So I don't think that there's any reason to believe that people in Ethereum are adver- adversarial thinking enough in mm-hmm. order to manage a massive potentially state you know state led psyop on the ethereum foundation and on the ethereum community let me just tell you how so do you know how the united states took down uh, or attacked the iranian missile foundation or, uh, or sorry not the uh, the iranian nuclear um mm-hmm. project tell me so they backdoored every single USB drive that could possibly get to them. And they put code that was malicious to specifically what the Iranians were using. So as soon as a they used a USB drive that was backdoored, it hit them with this, uh, with this, uh, with this virus or whatever to take down their system. Like right. the level of access and social engineering that these government entities that we're attacked that we are potentially attacking mm-hmm. um, are capable of is insane. Okay. So like you need to have a pretty insane level of adversarial thinking, especially when it comes to what literally defines Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So this always gets into the question of like, how much security do you need around your blockchain, right? Where Bitcoiners are like as much as fucking possible. And Ethereans are like, just just like if the we if this is the attack wall, let's be here. And Bitcoins are like, let's get this level as high as fucking possible. And Bit- and Ethereans are, my, are like, in my opinion, more pragmatic. It's like, okay, well, here's the attack level, and then we just need to be higher than that by a decent amount, decent buffer. And like that's that's what I see like playing out. It's like the 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 U.S. versus Iran is a nation state versus nation state thing. Like, there's different levels of resources going into these things. Like nation states know what they're dealing with when they go out and attack other nation states. Like when they're and like we know that the United States as a nation state does really really poorly when trying to go up against anything other than a nation state. Like why why was the 
why was the war in Iraq and Afghanistan such a disaster? It's because we weren't going against a nation state. We were going against a distributed set of people like uh, with no leadership and, and just a headless brand of, of, of entities. And that's the, that's yeah. the exact same thing with any distributed terrorists. Network. Yeah. Ter terrorists. Right. Um, and so like, I see that same, same dynamic with Ethereum. Like they don't even understand how to attack a network. I don't think that they do. And they can even generate a plan. But again, like generating a plan to attack the network like Bitcoin and Ethereum, sure they can generate a plan, but like that all their needs to, and Vitalik uses this in like in conversations that's like, especially when Bitcoiners attack Ethereum for not running nodes, like it just takes a certain level of herd immunity. Like only a certain percentage of people need to run nodes. Only a certain percentage of people need to be on the ball with this. And that protects the whole rest of the ecosystem, right? And so that that's that's why I just don't think like, all, like we can be super paranoid about the security of our blockchain and be, and then justify that that paranoia exists because there's a hidden level of attack incentives and what we have to protect is super valuable. And so we should have that paranoia. Um, but on the other side of things, like if that paranoia gets in the way of, of pragmatic, like design structures, like I'm not, I, I want to be on the other side of things, especially in this time of just like chaos where like the you know, United States nation state kind of incompetent right now, like not really doing a very good job with stuff. And so like, I'm not really worried about them coming to try and take down Ethereum. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually feel that, like, I think that that's a very fair take. Um, I would note that because Bitcoin exists as kind of like the risk-free crypto asset, um, other networks can be can try other methodologies and can take on more kind of inherent risk, um, and that it, it and that creates more value because you don't need two competing risk-free um, crypto assets. Uh, one can be risk-free and all others can trade against it. And I mean, if you think about it, like I have a tweet pending, but and I know this is a very Bitcoin-centric thing to say, but I truly believe this, like the entire crypto space is a fractal off of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is kind of like this risk-free base mm -hmm. and then everything else is fractaling off of it. And Ethereum is like, when you see the fractals, like Ethereum is just this massive fractal off of Bitcoin that is the the home of the other fractals from right. what I can see. For, you know, it really is. Right. Um, and Ethereum can kind of have a level of risk-free of it is more risk-free than what is built on top of it, but it is not as risk-free. You know, mm -hmm. Bitcoin is truly risk-free. 21 million, right. extreme distribution of nodes, always mm -hmm. relying on the back history. The back history is not enforced by social consensus, it's enforced yeah. by the network of nodes. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I think it creates more value to have, you know, different uh, design structures and different uh, risk tolerance. And I agree that the U.S. hasn't taken down Tor. The U.S. hasn't taken down Al Qaeda. The U.S. couldn't take down uh, the Vietnamese um, mm -hmm. and the North Koreans. So, right. um, you know, nation History's states on aren't our side. Against, yeah, yeah, they're not good against lightly distributed, let alone right. like, you know, very distributed. Started, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, Ethereum is very distributed compared to most things. It's you know, yeah. Bitcoin is nuclear grade distributed, right. um, but it, not everything has to be. Uh, a slight, slight, slight detour, but slightly related. Nick Carter was on um, Bankless yesterday and talking about how like stable coins have like pushed out Bitcoin as like the dominant like trading pair asset, uh, and so like stable coins have kind of taken over the the unit of account monetization role of of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum largely. Like stable coins are kind of just now the de facto trading pair. 
But then he said, like, you know, I, I initially thought that that was I'm speaking as Nick here. I initially thought that that was like, you know, bearish and kind of a bummer because like Bitcoin was supposed to be this universal like base unit of account. But Bitcoin and ha and, and Ether, if you're in the Ethereum ecosystem, they still offer like the main trading pair of trustless, permissionless money. Right. And so like it doesn't matter if stable coins pushed out Bitcoin if because Bitcoin is still like the de facto trustless asset. Right. And so like your stable coin is always one transaction away from being Bitcoin. Right. Uh, and so like it doesn't matter what the unit of account is on and what the main trading pairs on these exchanges are, because it, because the trade, the, the reason why stable coins are out there are to be traded against Bitcoin. Right. Or to be relational to Bitcoin. And if you're on Ethereum, then Ether. Uh, and so, like, I, I do agree that, like, the the maximal level of, uh, you know, assurances that are offered to you by Bitcoin and Ether are what is being, like, uh, levered against, depending on whatever economic activity you're doing. Yeah. So uh, my comments on that is I agree with Nick's sentiment. Um, and I would also add that um, these these. Uh, the stable coins, they are short to medium term and they actually they they allow Bitcoin and Ethereum to capture value. What they they don't um, the reason the reason what what they are truly doing is they are enabling the crypto world to adapt in order to offer fiat, you know, to offer, uh, you know, fiat tokens because there's massive fiat demand. The dollar is still the world reserve currency, it's still the way that we orient the world. I have a tweet that's pinned on my Twitter account it said hyper Bitcoinization, and it has circles that go down. And then the center of it is Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. The way the world is oriented right now, hyper dollarization is mm -hmm. circles going down with the dollar at the middle of it. So mm -hmm. our brains are programmed to think in dollars. That mm -hmm. is the language of value right now. So mm -hmm. the cryptoverse is actually adapted to grow dollar functionality. That shows mm -hmm. the permissionlessness is freaking awesome. And right. it, it keeps the value within. Ultimately, all of those dollar things um, are fundamentally broken because the dollar is fundamentally, fundamentally broken and permissioned. Um, so at some point to get quote unquote real dollars, you have to ask for permission. And that's the fundamental break. And that's right. why Ether and Bitcoin, they're still the most crypto, they're, they're still the most liquid crypto assets. And they're still the only uh you know true uh safe and and trustless uh liquid currencies yeah totally and at the end of the day like the value of one dollar in stablecoin whether it's usdc or tether or whatever versus one dollar in your bank account like that tether or that usdc is like a hundred times more useful to you as an individual right like the dollars in your wells fargo account aren't useful other than just being a store of value. But if it's a dollar on Ethereum, a dollar in DeFi, all of a sudden though, that becomes a lot more useful of a dollar to you. And so I highly expect that just dollar. Eh. Yeah, no? Mm. Well, I mean, Zelle dollars, Venmo dollars, Square Cash dollars, Wells Fargo dollars. Yeah, they're all, all, they're all the same dollars. Into the, they all plug into the, are all a lot more liquid to the traditional system. Um, so until either Bitcoin, Ethereum or DeFi, um, mm -hmm. starts to make up a substantial amount of like liquidity enough to mm -hmm. like really like, demand other folks to plug into it. Uh, I, I find your statement just to be a stretch of it is more useful. It's more useful if you value Bitcoin and Ethereum 
because then mm-hmm. you can get into those things easier. But right. in, unless you value those things, it's not more useful. Well, no, because you can draw debt against your own dollars. So like if you have a dollar, you can draw, you can produce like 50 cents. You can't do that in any other app. Maybe you can do that in like Robinhood, some roundabout way. But like then you can also earn like yield. Like the Ethereum is like the last bastion of yield in this universe. Like your money on Ethereum has yield and when everywhere else in the world, it doesn't. Uh, and so like that's that's extremely useful. Uh, like just saving cash and growing cash, dollar cash on is is the be- the I, I don't I can't think of a better place to do it in the world other than Ethereum. Well, I mean, there's centralized institutions that um, are offering a decent amount on on crypto. I would say that it's not Ethereum per se, but it's the equity um, ecosystem versus the debt ecosystem. And crypto is the first bastion of the equity uh, ecosystem where you must put your value up front. And mm-hmm. that is proving to actually pay out significantly higher yields because it's not pushed down. It's not tampered. It's not... Um, you know, again, provisioned by the government. Um, so uh, we are seeing, you know, Nexo, uh, Celsius, BlockFi, all of these guys, they, they're offering high, high interest rates compared to anything in the, in the institutional world. But everything for them is, is very much equity first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just a distinction there. But, you know, Ethereum is very much, the, all of DeFi is equity first. And we're going to continue seeing way higher interest rates uh, because the equity land, Bitcoin land, where the growth is happening, it's, it's just going to just shine huge interest rates compared to everything else, especially in the debt world. Totally agree. I, f- I feel like that's going to be one of the big reasons why this bull market is so fucking awesome is is because of yield um, based off. I, I didn't totally follow that economic analysis. You're using terms that it sounds like you're really familiar with and I'm less familiar with. Um Wait, say it one more time. Equity, like upfront equity. I don't so, not sure. Not familiar with that? Yeah. So uh, the the debt economy means that it's ri- it's driven by taking out debt versus the equity economy means it's driven by ownership. So, for example, housing prices right now are extremely expensive and inflated because we live in a debt world. But if we were oriented around an equity world where interest rates were extremely high and you couldn't just borrow debt, you know, very easily, you would find that, yes, you can't get a loan as easily, but all houses are much cheaper in comparison to your money as well, because they're not inflated because of, Mm. you know, the constant drawing from debt. Um, So it's just, it's a reorienting world, but in an equity world where there's much less debt, you also have much higher interest rates because your, you know, your upfront money is more valuable, gets you further. Right. Totally. That's the reorienting that, mm-hmm. you know, we're still on the dollar standard. We, we need to reorient around the equity standard, which in mm-hmm. my mind, like that's what Bitcoin is. And right. Ethereum is a fractal off of that. Right. It's the equity standard. Like the, the real the asset standard. Is that a different yeah, way? It's it? like you need to have assets up front. Right. Everything is measured appropriately. Mm-hmm. It's not measured by this convoluted debt system that is just like making it impossible to make economic calculations. Mm-hmm. Agree. Uh, agree. Uh, where do we want to turn to next? I mean, we're, we're going a little bit long. Uh, I think we should talk about end of the year predictions and price predictions. Um, I already kind of said that I, I believe that we're going to have a little bit of a drawdown going into Q1, but fireworks until then. So do you think we're going to break all time high soon? I feel like there's just way too much excitement to 
not break all time high, but people will take profit and there will be a substantial drawdown in my opinion, but that could be completely wrong. Yeah. Like I, I just feel like there, there's a drawdown coming, right? Uh, so I, I, on the, on, but on the other side of things, maybe I'll start, start on the other side of things there. It is possible for a pump to exist that does not dump like the, the unicorn pump that doesn't dump after a result. Usually there's a pump and then there's a dump and there's a, like, it's a two step forwards, one, one step back kind of thing. There does exist the possibility where we take two steps forward. And instead of taking one step backwards, we take another step forwards, right? Like that does, that's a possibility that could happen, but there is a dump coming. There is a dump coming at some point in time, right? Like the 30 to 40% drawdown. If that happens now, Bitcoin's going back to 14,000 and then it would probably bounce back up to something like, like 17 or 18. And then we would slow march from there. Ether would draw down to like $450 and then go back up from there. Or, or Bitcoin breaks all-time highs and then like, you know, there's a mania, a short-term mania that maybe pumps us to like 22, 24,000 and then we get the 40% drawdown there. I don't know. There's a drawdown coming. I don't know when it happens. Um, I guess the, that was useless well, advice. No, I mean, no. I mean, I, you're completely right in terms of the the pump can 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 continue and at some point there is going to be the pump that just never fully corrects back i would argue that going from 15 to 18 or i guess you know we really went from like 12 to 18 you know if we just go down to 15 you know still, still 13 14 bullish. 15 that that right there like that that's kind of like a unicorn pump right there mm -hmm. and then for ethereum i mean 500 the entire 500 range really wasn't earned it just went straight right like it earned 400 really earned 400 totally. but you know it pretty much went straight through most of 500 without yeah. any resistance we we cleared 500 in three days before we got to 600 and and now now we're back into 500 like ever about 24 hours now we've been fighting the upper 500s but like it's it still seems like there's at least with the ether price because like if if Bitcoin can go from twelve to to nineteen thousand, like Ether can go from for whatever it was four hundred and fifty to like eight seven or eight hundred, right? And so like there's still plenty of like clear skies ahead of us to to do something fucking crazy, right? Uh, but again, like if clear skies up, clear skies down, like it goes both ways. Yeah, I don't, like it, again. It, yeah, I'm not. I don't want to opine on this too much because I'm just not that competent. But um, keep stacking, y'all. I do want to mm -hmm. talk about the ETH2 deposit contract with you before we get yeah, off. Yeah, sure, totally. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what what what's your reaction so far? When mm -hmm. do you think that ETH, like the Beacon Chain, will actually go live? Um, yeah. Well, because we met the deposit deadline, and it wasn't really a deadline, but like the earliest possible day that we could get. Ethereum phase zero, the beacon chain up and running would be December 1st. And we needed to have hit that 5,240, uh, 500,000, Jesus, 524,000 deposited Ether by two days ago in order to get Ethereum phase zero up and running on the earliest date possible. We hit that number. And so the reason why Ethereans are so excited is just because it's like this massive vote of confidence. Like, yes, the community is rallying behind Ethereum 2.0. Yes, the, the community wants it. No, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like lack of consensus as to what the community wants. Yes, the community will do the things that it needs to do to get the job done to get Ethereum 2.0 up and running. So it's just like everyone, it's a, it's a signal 
that everyone is ready to like go into full throttle mode. So like everyone wants Ethereum 2 and we're doing the things that we need to get to need to do to get Ethereum 2 out the door. So like there's just absolutely zero lack of just like lack of consensus. Like there's com just total consensus of, as to what the community wants and the community did the things in order to, to signal that. Um, and so on December 1st, the uh, the people that have uh, downloaded the the clients for whatever specific ETH2 client teams, whether it's Prismatic or Nimbus or Lighthouse, uh, somehow out, outside of my capacity of knowledge, all these things begin talking to each other on December 1st and everyone gets minted 32 ETH or however much ETH they deposited into the deposit contract, they get minted 32 new ETH on the beacon chain uh, because they burned 32 ETH on the old chain and then they can start validating the beacon chain and receiving staking rewards based off of their staked ETH. So staking goes live on December 1st. So that's also the beginning of the ETH Beth trading pair, right? I think that's going to be a very interesting trading pair. No, uh, the only way that a Beth token exists is if you stake and sub submit your stake through a centralized staking services provider and then they issue you a credit because you cannot transfer ETH on the phase zero chain. It's not transferable. So you can't sell it to anyone. It's locked until yep. phase 1.5. So the only way that Beth ex ever exists is like if Coinbase offers a staking as a, as a service, they can make Coinbase yep. Beth. If yep. Gemini offers a staking as a service, they can make Gemini Beth. But okay. there's not ever going to be one single well, Beth. Though, I mean, those products will exist, and I'm sure that there'll be some. Uh, there'll also be some synthetic products on DeFi too. Um, but I don't understand I, why people care about Beth. Like, it's not a. It's not an interesting thing. I, well, those markets will be interesting if there's turbulence. Sure, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there's turbulence. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, obviously you're not anticipating turbulence uh, and I'm just like watching with popcorn. And I mean, honestly, I, I, I've turned around my opinion on Ethereum a lot and DeFi a lot. So uh, yeah, you have a lot more to go though. <laughs> no, I think I'm realistic. Success. I, I've turned my opinion around on Bitcoin more than you've turned your opinion around on Ethereum. I don't think my bags have agreed with that. <laughs> <laughs> you you own ether right now right yeah i i own a decent amount of ether and uh I'd, i don't think you own enough bitcoin uh, yeah i own zero bitcoin i i, I owned bitcoin right. well so i'll here let me make a quick argument you denominate the growth of that port in the the success of that portfolio based on based on btc right i would argue that you actually are using Bitcoin in that case. I don't, I don't really do that. No, I, I denominate my portfolio in Ether. Sometimes I look at like how much my portfolio is denominated in Bitcoin just to just because I'm curious. But like if you're asking me, how do I evaluate my portfolio on a day to day basis? It's both US dollar and Ether denominated terms. OK, well, be careful. You should uh, you should trade some of the shit coins for Bitcoin. Yeah, you, you keep on saying that, but my Bitcoin denominated portfolio keeps on going up. <laughs> it's never been higher than it has today. I guess it was higher yesterday. I mean, that's awesome. Keep yeah. stacking sets then. Yeah. But it's just paper until you turn it into cold hard Satoshis. <laughs> <laughs> or, or way, or way. Works either way. Haha. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. I think it was a good time to wrap it up. Um, yo, you guys can follow the show at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at CK underscore Snarks and at Bitcoin Magazine. David? You can follow me at Trustless Date both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Podcast coming out shortly. Yep. I guess if they're listening to this, they don't need to know that, though. Still. Follow us. <laughs> go subscribe if you're watching this. Go subscribe to the feed. Go everywhere you find your podcast. All right, bye. Bye. Will you just